We certainly appreciate the presence of everyone that's here this morning, especially our visitors, and hope we'll be back here many times in the future. We're going to continue our study with the life of Joseph. And this morning, our text is taken from Genesis chapter 42 and verse 36. In this place, the Bible says, And Jacob their father said unto them, you have, ye bereaved, ye have ye bereaved me of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. You know, it's my belief this morning that a lot of the outcomes of life has to do with the attitudes that we choose to have as we face the difficulties that we face in life. I'm a firm believer this morning that attitude is a choice. You choose to be happy, you choose to have a good attitude, or you choose to be grumpy and unhappy and have a bad attitude. I used to tell my children before they went to school, I said, choose today to be happy because I do believe it is a choice that we make. And then after a while, it didn't seem to be working, so I told them it's no longer a choice. You had to be happy today because I believe you can choose to be happy. So oftentimes, it's, it's not the issue that we have to face as much as it is the way we face the difficulties that we do face in life. If you choose the right perspective, then chances are half the battle is already won, you know. Attitude really does make the difference in our lives. You remember the story I've told here a few times back about a shoe salesman who went to a foreign country to sell shoes. And when he got there, he knows that nobody wore shoes. And so he wrote back to his company and said, uh, potential is very low here. Nobody wears shoes. Well, sometimes later, that company decided to send another salesman over there to that same country to see what he could do in selling shoes. Well, when he got there, he saw all these people going barefooted. And so he said, potential is great. Everybody needs shoes over here. And that, of course, is the type of attitude that we need to have in life. I'm against, I'm convinced that that attitude changes things in our lives. You see, in this case, what was one man's disaster was another man's opportunity. And our attitude has a great deal to do with the outcomes in our life. It also affects our happiness. I really do believe that you can choose to be happy. Sometime, some, sometimes ago, there was a little peanut cartoon that showed Lucy... And she was asking Charlie Brown, have you ever seen someone that was truly happy? About that time, Snoopy comes running through the, the living room. Though. He takes up about two frames of that, of that cartoon. His ears are sticking straight out. He's got a big old smile on his face. And then at the last frame, you see Lucy asking Charlie Brown again. But a little bit, a little bit different, though. Have you ever seen someone who was truly happy who was still in their right mind? Well, I believe that I have. Now, if you are here, the type of person who can smile at the, at the prospect of selling shoes to people who goes around barefooted or dance through life regardless of what the other people may think, then I don't have that much to say to you this morning. In fact, you could probably teach me something. But you know, probably most of us, we are far too pessimistic than we need to be. And because of that, I feel that our lesson this morning will be relevant to most of us. Today we are continuing, as I said earlier, our study in the life of Joseph. And in our study today, we want to especially pay attention to Joseph's dad, 
Jacob. Jacob, you remember, was a man to whom God called Israel. And when I looked that up, that simply meant a prince of God. God gave him an elevated name. And he was going to bless uh, the world through this man and through his prosperity. It seems like as he got older, though, this old patriarch became more pessimistic than he should have been. And so the benefit of our story this morning is the fact that we can see the mistakes that Jacob himself made, and maybe we can avoid making those same mistakes in our lives. So I'll call this lesson this morning, The Unhappiness of a Negative Thinker. I think it will become very obvious as we go through this uh, study, as we say these two chapters, chapter 42 and chapter 43. And by the way, I believe that the Bible teaches us that we are to have a positive attitude in life. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul was teaching uh, what he taught in, in, when he said in, in Roman, uh, uh, Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things or dwell on these things. You will notice from the reading there that the Apostle Paul is telling us to dwell and think on positive things. He says nothing that's negative in that passage. He didn't mention anything that were that things that were false. He didn't mention anything that was dishonorable. He didn't mention anything that was wrong or polluted or even ugly or a bad report. Nothing that had no excellence in them, nothing that was shameful in them of themselves, and nothing that was not praiseworthy. But rather, he says that we are to think on things that are very, very opposite as that. Now, I don't mean by that that we are never to think on something that was negative or even deny that nothing negative exists because it certainly does. But what I am saying this morning is that we must not dwell on those things that are negative, but rather dwell on the positive things that we have in life. And let me say at the very front, I am a great believer in the positive mental attitude. But at the same time, I do not subscribe to the idea that many people in our world have today that preach the positive mental attitude. Because many times, you know, they leave the God completely out of it. And they make gods of themselves. But I do believe if you're a Christian, you are going to be positive about life because the Lord gives you a lot to be positive about. You remember at the last of our, our, our last lesson, Joseph had become the prime minister of Egypt. He had predicted the, that to Pharaoh that there was going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Well, by now, the seven years of plenty had come to an end. And he had gathered, Joseph had all the grain for all those years. And then there are seven years of famine. And this famine was not only going to reach through throughout Egypt, but as well all the other countries thereabout. And so the ten brothers of, Je of Je uh, Joseph, rather, who had mistreated him so, uh, so hatefully, who had sold him into slavery, had to come to Joseph now to buy grain. And you know, by God's divine providence, they had to appear before Joseph to make that purchase. Just as the Bible said, they bowed down before him. But as you remember, they didn't recognize him, but Joseph recognized them. And Joseph put the pressure on them. He had put them to a test to find out what kind of men 
that they had become. At first, he accused them of being spies, you remember. And then he put them in jail for about three days. After these three days were over, he brought them back out of the jail and gave them food to take back to their families. He told them that they needed to bring their younger brother back to prove that they were telling the truth. But you remember, he kept Simeon to test their willingness to do that. Well, they left. But you know, he did something just before they left that would sort of raise the stakes, as it were. In Genesis chapter 42, beginning with verse 25, the Bible says this, Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way, and thus did he unto them. And they loaded their donkeys with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the end, he saw his money, for behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? You know, this was Joseph's way of testing these brothers to see if they would abandon Simeon when he, when he sent them on their way. Beginning in verse 29 of that same chapter, the Bible says, And they came unto Jacob their father unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The, the man who is the Lord of the land, of course that was Joseph, spake roughly to us, and he took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men, we are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father, one is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are not our true, true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me, then shall I know that ye are not no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you your brother, and ye shall trade in the land. And then the plot begins to thicken. In verse 35 it says, And it came to pass as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Now from their perspective, they were facing a great dilemma. If they went back having this money in their sacks, they could have been accused of, 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 of stealing the money. But if they didn't go back, they would have to abandon their brother, Simeon. But of course, they didn't want to do that either. Well, the next verse we want to examine, uh, or very, next verses rather, we want to examine very closely because they tell us about the attitude that Jacob had when they told him about Benjamin. Jacob, as you can now cons uh, uh, think, is our negative thinker that we're talking about this morning. In Genesis 42 and verse 36, the Bible says, And Jacob their father said unto them, you have, ye, you have ye bereaved me of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Notice, if you will, the negative kind of talk that he is expressing here. It's the kind of talk of a chronic negative thinker. He said, all these things are against me. Now, there are about four characteristics of a negative thinker that is being expressed in this story. The first characteristic is that of a self is of self-pity. Instead of looking at the positive and the good, Jacob, Jacob was looking at the negative as well as the bad. 
and how it affected himself. You know, instead of saying, well, I'm glad that you boys have brought, have, have brought back, were brought back safely. At least we can thank God for that. But he didn't do that. But rather, all he could say was, all these things are against me. As if to say, everything and everyone is against me. There's no hope. So I just give up. You know, self-pity is one of the most common responses in facing the difficulties of life. There's a strong tendency in all of our, our lives when things are going bad in our lives, or even when we think they're going bad, we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. There comes upon us a feeling of hopelessness. Have you ever had that kind of feeling? When things didn't go good in your life, and you felt every, that everything and everybody was against you? Have you ever been to the point where you just want to crawl off in a hole somewhere and die? No doubt you've known people like that, or maybe you've even felt that way yourself at times. Well, listen, you're not alone. There are some high-profile characters in the Word of God who had the same kind of feelings. For example, Moses. When things were kind of difficult in his life as he led the children of Israel out of bondage to the promised land, he said in Numbers 11, verses 14 and 15, I am not able to bear all this people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If thou dealt thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of, my, uh, out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. That's the kind of, that's what he said to the God of heaven. Words of self-pity. Take Elijah. Over in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. You remember when Jezebel was seeking out to kill him, he told the Lord, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm not, no, I'm not better than my father's. These are statements of self-pity. You might be wondering, Philip, are you saying that we should never feel sorry for ourselves when things go bad for us? Not at all. But what I am saying to you folks is don't dwell on your problems and fill your hearts with self-pity. That becomes, when it becomes a habit in your life, it probably does more harm to your life than the circumstances that you're having to face in life. You see, the crime that self-pity commits against us is that it robs us of our hope. And folks, without hope, we cannot maintain sanity. It's the most important element in our happiness. And self-pity robs us of that hope. Circumstances goes against us, or at least we think they do, and we feel bad. And we began to play that tape over and over and over again in our minds. Woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. It creates within us a state of hopelessness and eventually a deep state of depression. And I'm convinced this morning that's what's happening to Elijah. He said, Lord, it's enough. Just go ahead and kill me. You need to understand, folks, that I'm not, I, I'm not so idealistic as to believe there's not times in our lives where we're going to become discouraged or we're not going to become discouraged. Because at times we all become discouraged. And we're tempted to be filled with self-pity at times. But you see, when it becomes a lifestyle, that's when it becomes dangerous. 
And when you closely look and examine the life of Jacob, you'll find out that he had become a habit in his life to pity himself. Look at Genesis 37, verse 30, uh, 25, or 35. This is the response that Jacob had when he first learned that Joseph had probably been killed by a wild animal. In this place, the Bible says, and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave until my son mourning. Thus, his father wept for him. I want you to notice that the Bible says that he refused to be comforted. You know, I believe it's good and it's proper. We need to mourn about the loss of our loved ones. But when we, if we just mourn and mourn and, and mourn, when we refuse to be comforted, then we have chosen self-pity. Well, Jacob, as we have seen in Genesis 42 and verse 36, is still brooding about this some 23 years later. He is still feeling the same self-pity that he felt some 23 years before. If he had, it's as if he died on that day and he never came back, back to life again. You know, I know people like that and probably you do too. Well, let's move on then. In chapter 47, we find Jacob appearing before Pharaoh after he had moved into the land of Egypt. And at this place, Joseph or Jacob, uh, Pharaoh rather, was asking Joseph or Jacob how old he was. And perhaps Pharaoh was trying to get Jacob to evaluate his life. And this is what Jacob had to say in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 47. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How many are the days of, of the years of thy life? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage here and a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. I want you to notice what Jacob said here. He said, few and evil. Now, the international version renders that passage few and unpleasant. You know, 130 years doesn't seem that very few, does it? He said his days were evil. His days were unpleasant. All of those 130 years. Now, this was the patriarch of God, the very one that God had promised to bless uh, all nations on the earth. This is the one who saw angels who remembered ascending and descending from heaven. This is the Jacob to whom God made this promise in a dream in Genesis 28, verse 15. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of thee of. But you see, Jacob wasn't focusing on this. He was focusing on the negative rather than the positive. And this was because he had a habit of self-pity. Woe is me. My days are evil. My days are few. But that's not all there is to it. You know, people are not only miserable when they are filled with self-pity, but they make the other people's, people's life miserable as well. They make other people unhappy. I heard a story one time about a hard-to-please husband whose wife was determined to satisfy him at least one day of his life. And so she got up one morning and said, Darling, 
I'm going to fix you a great breakfast. Tell me what you want. Well, the husband growled back at him and said, well, I want coffee. I want toast. I want some grits. I want sausage. And I want two eggs, one of them to be scrambled and the other to be uh, fried. Well, she set out to, do, to, to make this wonderful breakfast for her husband. And when she sat down in front of him, of course, she was expecting some kind of words of praise. And the husband says, well, of all things, you fried the wrong egg. It's hard to please some people, isn't it? There was a marriage counselor one time who was talking to a woman. and He asked some questions about her disposition or about her attitude. And he asked her, did you wake up grumpy this morning? She said, no, I just let him sleep. Well, why wasn't Jacob claiming God's promises? Why wasn't he saying these, these, things, uh, these, uh, these things to these boys? Why didn't he say, God has promised me that he's going to be with me wherever I go, that he's not going to leave me? And so it may look uh, bad to you boys right now, but you need to understand God is in this thing somewhere, and he's going to work it all out for our good. But he didn't say that, did he? And why didn't he? Well, it's because of the same reason that people are filled with self-pity today and say, and say the same things today. It's because of unbelief. You see, God had made these wonderful promises to Jacob that wherever he went, that God was going to bless him. God says, I'm not going to forsake you at all. I'm, not, I'm going to be with you wherever you go and everything is going to be for the, work out for the best. But evidently, Jacob didn't believe it. He didn't believe all that all things work together for those that love the Lord. And today, folks, when we say over and over again in our minds, nobody cares. There's nothing I can do. My situation is hopeless. God is being unfair to me. It's simply an indication of unbelief because that's what self-pity really amounts to. No, Jacob... All these things aren't against you. God is working in the situation. Your son is down there in the land of Egypt, and God is going to bring you to a place of safety, a place of plenty. No, these things aren't against you, Jacob. Well, there's another characteristic of, of self-pity, and that is being stubborn. You know, Reuben, who was the oldest son of Jacob, he tried to persuade his dad that there is still hope for them. And so he said to his father in Genesis 42 and verse 37, Feel free to put my own two sons to death. Reuben responded to his father, If I don't bring Simeon back to you, trust me, I'll bring him back to you. In other words, Reuben was saying, Come on, dad, let's go down to Egypt. Let us get some food. We just can't sit here and do nothing. But listen to verse 38. But Jacob replied, My son isn't going back with you. Since his brother is dead and he's the only one left, if something should harm him as you travel, then it'll be the death of me and my sad gray hair. He said, I'm not going to budge and you can't make me. That stubbornness that we're talking about here this morning. You know, many people who engage in self-pity actually re refuses to, be, to, to accept comfort. 
They refuse to take any kind of action to bring about any kind of solution. I don't feel good about this, and you can't make me. One thing that will that will never do, that they will never do is to solve the problem. Because you see, if they were to solve the problem, then the pity would be gone. In Genesis 43, in the first two verses, we see that things change a little bit for Jacob. Begin with verse 1, it says, And the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. Now, I don't know what he was thinking about when, when he made that statement. Maybe he was telling himself, Well, maybe they're not going to take Benjamin after all. But his refusal to take action did not change the circum or situation, you know, or the circumstance. And that's, called, and that's always the case. He knew that these boys could not go back to Egypt without Benjamin. Verses 3 through 5, Judah reminds him of that. And Judah suspected to him, saying, the man, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy, this, buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. Judah, you know, was placing things just as they were. He said, If you don't let, if you don't let us take him, we're not going to go. But if you will, then we will go. Now, listen to another characteristic of a negative thinker. And that is that they try to blame other people for their, for their woes. Kind of sounds like Jacob thought these brothers were, had connived against him, you know, in order to make his life miserable. He said, you boys have planned in, in such a way as to take Benjamin away from me and leave me in this miserable mess that I find myself in. You have planned this. I know that you've planned this. You know, it's common thing is a common characteristic of those who are habitually involved in negative thinking to look and blame others for all that's going on in their life. And of course, the last person they blame is themselves. And that's why it's so difficult to help people who are filled with self-pity because they are filled with self because they are putting Blame on everybody else instead of themselves. Of course, all the brothers could do, you know, is to let Jacob know that they had no idea that this man was going to order them to bring Benjamin back with them. They couldn't, they couldn't predict that, you know. But rather, they said in verse 7, the man specifically asked us about our, uh, asked us and our relatives, they responded. He asked us, is your father still alive? And do you have another brother? So we answered his questions. How could we have known that he would tell us to bring our brother back with us? And you know, I would suppose that Judah had had a belly full of it all. And he said in verse 8, Send the young man with me, Judah told his father Israel, and we'll get up and go so we can survive and not die. And that includes all of us, you and our families. You know, sometimes you can't argue with a negative thinker. You just have to tell them how it is really. So in verse 9, he says, I'll even offer myself to guarantee that I'll be responsible for him. If I don't bring him back and prevent you, him to you, 
I'll personally bear the consequence forever. In other words, if you want to blame somebody, you just blame me. And then verse 10 says, after all, if we hadn't delayed, we could have been there and back twice by now. In other words, Dad, if you hadn't been so stubborn, had you allowed us to go, go and take Benjamin with us, we could have gone and been, been back by now. But Jacob was filled with self-pity. He was stubborn. And he was blaming other people. And the last characteristic we want to talk about this morning is that of apathy. You know, when a person is finally persuaded that there's nothing else they can do, sometimes then they play the role of a martyr. Well, if you must do it, then you go ahead and just let me suffer. That's what Jacob was saying there. In verses 11 through 14, the Bible says, And that's the way it is to be, their father Israel replied. Then do this. Take some of the best produce of the land in your, in your containers and take them to the man as a gift. Some resin, ointment, some honey, fragrant risins, myrrh, pistachios, and almonds. And take twice as much money with you so you can return, to the, return the money that had been replaced in the mouth of your sacks. Maybe it was an accounting mistake on their part. And be sure to take your brother too. So get up, return to the man, and may God Almighty be, uh, cause the man to show compassion toward you. May he send all of you back, including your other brother and Benjamin. Now as for me, if I lose my children, well, I just lose them. He's given up. That's apathy. If that's okay, boys, you just go ahead and you pull the trigger. And if I suffer, well, that's okay. Have you ever known anyone like that? In verse 15, the Bible says, So the men took their gift and doubled the, the money. Then they got up, took Benjamin with them, and set out for Egypt, and eventually appeared before Joseph. You know, there was a farmer one time who was having a hard time filling out a claim sheet to a railroad company for a cow that had been killed because the cow catcher that went on front of the steam engine killed his cow. Well, he was doing pretty good, you know, until they came to the part about the disposition of the carcass. Well, the old man didn't know what that meant. And he squinted his eyes and he scratched his head. And then finally, he wrote down for the disposition of the carcass, kind and gentle. Well, I'm sure that the railroad company didn't intend for him to take that question like that. But I believe that's a good way to end our lesson this morning. And we'll pick it back up next month when we come, Lord willing. But let me ask you this morning, what is your attitude? What is your disposition? Are you a person who is filled with optimism because you believe the words of our Lord and the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, let your mind dwell or uh, think on these things? Or do you have the disposition of Jacob when he was collecting negative thoughts in his life? Walter Rental one time said, a pessimist is one who builds dungeons in the air. Does that describe you this morning? Or does it or describe me this morning? 
Are we so negative in our thinking that we are building dungeons in the air? How about these four characteristics of a negative thinker? Are you filled with self-pity because of your situation that you find yourself in? Are you being stubborn about it? Do you try to blame others for what's going on in your life? Are you apathetic about it? If your answer is yes, then my question to you this morning is, what are you going to do about it? Somebody might say, well, what am I supposed to do about it? Well, the first thing that you need to do is to admit that you are filled with self-pity, that you are being stubborn about it, that you are blaming others for all your problems that you have, and you're filled with apathy. You need to practice what the Apostle Paul taught in Philippians 4 and verse 8, when he said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything that's worth, worthy of praise, he says, think or let your mind dwell on these things. That's the answer. And you have to be aggressive about that. You can't be passive. You can't just sit by and allow it to happen. You know, there's an old Welch proverb that reads, bad news goes around or about in clogs. Good news and stocking feet. Good news usually comes in whispers, doesn't it? While bad news shouts to the top of its lungs. We need to listen to the good news and not dwell on the bad things. We need to learn to tune our ears to where we can hear the good and tune out, as it were, the negative things in life. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from the Oyster Bay Church of Christ in Crawfordville, Florida. I hope you've been blessed by its message. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, or if you'd like to hear more preaching by the members of our congregation, visit our website at www.obcoc.org. I'm Hayden, and on behalf of the congregation, we wish you a blessed day.